0: Brad Marino has been a fixture in the East Coast music scene for years, with his bands The Rydells, The Connection, The New Trocaderos, and of course, his solo projects. To uh, much critical acclaim, Brad released his second LP of original material earlier this year, titled Looking for Trouble, on Rumbar Records, Beluga Music, Ghost Highway Recordings, and Spaghetti Town Records. His music has been compared to the Ramones, the Flame and Groovies, Exile and Main Street era Rolling Stones. It's been called punk. It's been called power pop. It's been called straight up rock and roll, whatever you want to call it. Josh and I have been friends for, or, well, friends, but fans <laughs> for years. So without further delay, Mr. Brad Marino. How you doing, man?
1: Hey guys, I'm doing good. How are you guys?
0: Good, good. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on our, our humble show.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me. It's like to do it. My first podcast.
0: No, really? Wow, yeah. how about that? Oh wow, no. that's pretty cool. <laughs> I opened up this the, point.
1: <laughs> the first of many. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, maybe it'll be a new little side gig for me,
2: doing these cool. podcasts. Start a trend. <laughs> so a lot of people know you from The Connection. Not everyone remembers your previous band, Rydell's, which dated all the way back to 2004. Can you tell us a little about the history of Rydell's?
1: Yeah, so the Rydell's, so that was like my first serious band. Um, and they were already a band when I joined them. I think they started in like 2002 and it was the year I graduated high school, 2004, that summer that, um, I joined up with them. And, you know, at that point they were already, you know, going pretty strong and they had done pretty much most of the songs that were on the first record that I did with them go mental. They had recorded them and kind of released them on a little label here in New Hampshire called spiral records. Um, and you know, they were sort of like becoming a cult favorite and I had actually never seen them before, before I joined the band, but you know, like New Hampshire, it's kind of cool because we're such a small state, um, but we kind of have a pretty rich music history here. And, um, even, you know, like back then in like, oh three, oh four, there was a pretty decent still like punk rock scene around here. There was like a lot of bands, um, you know, like the queers were from Portsmouth and, um, Right. At that time. Yeah. So like, I mean, everybody liked the queers and, you know, there was actually quite a few kids into punk rock, like in my high school. And I kind of had a circle of friends that were really into like the pop punk stuff. And we were like teenagers, you know? So in 0304, like junior, senior year of high school, I was like a big, you know, it was all about like the Ramones and screeching weasel and the Riverdales and the queers. And, um, you know, thinking back on it now, it's kind of, you know, funny to think of how many people were into that same type of music then you know um,
0: yeah and
1: so a bunch of went to shows and I would go but I wasn't 18 until the end of July of 2004 so there were a few shows I couldn't go to back then but I had like a band that um, just jammed um, we did kind of like you know we did like covers and, our, and some of our own stuff probably the first like sort of attempts at writing songs um, but the guitar player that we jammed with rich would go to a lot of shows he was really well in tune with the scene and um he talked to Denny Rydell, who was the singer and the you know, he started the Rydells, he was the Rydells. And Denny was mentioning how they needed a new drummer, and Rich said, Well, I know this guy, Brad, he plays drums. I, I played bass and sang in our little garage band, but I would always mess around on the drums when we were just, you know, messing around in the basement just for fun. And like I never took any drum lessons or anything, but I could do that. Tommy Ramone fast hi hat you know just that steady backbeat it just kind of came natural and it was fun it's for me to do just... yeah it's all you need and um <laughs> so rich from my little garage band you know mentioned to Denny and then like back then I was on AIM instant messenger and a Denny rydell popped up his little avatar was Road to Ruin. Um and, you know he was hey, I heard you play the drums, and I'm looking for a drummer. And so that's kind of how I got into the band, kind of through my local, like, friends, group of friends and pals, that kind of scene. It was basically like a job reference, you know? Like, Rich kind of got me the gig, so to speak, in the Ls. So, um, yeah, that was, like, my first real band. Um, I was, like, uh, just turned 18 when I joined. Um, and, uh, you know, back then, it's weird. Like, up here in New England... A lot of like shows are held at like Knights of Columbus or Elks Lodges. I don't even know if you guys have those. Oh
2: yeah. Josh sure. Maybe Oh yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, so like a lot of those shows were just like DIY and um you know, even like bands like the queers back then would play like Elliott Main Grange Hall or like, you know, Portsmouth Community Center, like literally just like a rec center for arts and crafts that had like a daycare in it, they would play there. So, you know, the Ride you know, we were fortunate because we got to play with some cool bands just by being from new hampshire and it was just kind of like timing timing is everything you know there was just like a lot of cool cool bands going on at the time the guts um were like a big band um when i was in high school somebody gave me a gut cd and was like you got to check them out if you like screeching weasel and all that you're gonna love this and i did and so you know we'd go to gut shows that's sort of how i first met jeff but like, I didn't know him, know him. And he, he's older than me. So like, I was just like a geeky 17 year old and he was like 24 or whatever. And like, um, <laughs> you know, but that's kind of my first introduction to like a lot of people was the Rydells. Like we would play with the leftovers, you know, Kurt Baker, um, the guts. And then, you know, like we even, you know, would open for the queers if they were around somewhere in like Portland or New Hampshire. And, um, yeah, we, you know, we had fun. We did a couple a couple of records for, um, uh, Cabana One Records, I think it was called, out in California. The first record, Go Mental, came out in 05. That was in Cheapskate Records. Um, And, uh, yeah, you know, I was just like a kid out of high school. And we recorded that at the Electric Cave in Portsmouth, which is kind of a historic little punk rock studio. You know, the queers have recorded there. And I think, like, Scissor Mm -hmm. Fight, um, the Jabbers, you know, Gigi's band, they had recently reformed with Wimpy from the queers on vocals. They had recorded there. And um, so Mm -hmm. it kind of had some history so it was really kind of cool to be like 17 18 and recording and you know everybody was older than me so it was like I really looked up to like Denny and stuff and I mean Denny at the time was like Denny Rydell was just like a complete Johnny Ramone clone like (laughs) the, he had the little come with me chain on the leather jacket the keds I mean he he would go to like (laughs) and stuff and like thrift shops to look for like old Levi's that looked like Ramones. Oh, Levi's. that's
0: sweet, man. Not a lot of people get the Keds detail. So that's kudos True. to him,
1: man. They yeah, go with the Chucks, but no, he, he was all about the Keds, the pro Keds. And, um, yeah. So yeah. My first introduction into being like in a band that played shows and kind of like being kind of like a community kind of aspect where you kind of network and meet people. And So yeah, we only did two albums, uh, O5, Go Mental, and then we did Rock and Rolls, The Answer, I think came out in 08. Um, and we. Uh, it's so funny that Joey Ramone released a record with the same name a few years later. Uh-huh. So, knowing Benny, he probably knew some guy who knew. Like, maybe he knew in advance. I have no idea. Like, gonna, never know. So yeah, so, we had some fun time.
0: Cool. So, uh, speaking of those those Wrightells records, um, Pine Hill Records re released them a couple years ago, didn't they? How did that come yeah. about?
1: yeah so like they were obviously back then it was the cd cd era in the uh, mid 2000s um so yeah this guy tino valpa he has a band called the cryptics and he's like a punk rock like community i mean he's like really really into it like i was never like that into like being like i wasn't like i didn't book shows or make flyers or merch or anything but he's one of those like real hard workers that's like really into it and like um, he has a label called Pine Hill records and he releases his own stuff. And he, he started doing like old, like queers reissues, like some old seven inches. And like, sometimes he works with like some bigger bands. And I don't even know if he like asks permission or just like takes a chance. <laughs> does A master file and just makes the, makes the records. But he and I had talked once, maybe like around 2017 about you know how like all the punk bands did like the Ramones cover records, like, yeah. uh, Reach and Weasel and MTX and Boris, the sprinkler. And uh, he was thinking it'd be cool to have like somebody cover like a record that hadn't been covered before. And so the connection was actually going to do Mondo Bizarro for his, for his, at the time, like the the drummer, we'll get into the connection later, but like, he wasn't like (laughs) a fan or really even a fan of music. So like, I didn't, feel like it would come out good <laughs> you know you gotta have a certain drum style so it just never <clears throat> excuse me it never really came to fruition but i said to him hey you know you know how about the ride l's records have never been on vinyl i think it'd be cool to have a vinyl release because even though it had been a few years like there was still somewhat of a following for the ride l's and um, so yeah he was like oh man definitely because you know ride being a new hampshire punk rock band and him being a new hampshire punk rock label it just made sense And he just does like limited run um, like a hundred copies and just tries to like make, make them and sell them, turn them around quick. So yeah, he did a hundred copies of each Rydell's record and yeah, they sold out and they're probably on Discogs for like a couple hundred bucks now. But you got a copy of that? And it's like, no, like I literally got like two copies, but you know, I think it's definitely cool. I'm like, you know, I like, listening to vinyl and stuff and that's the most number one selling format right now so i think it's cool to have like everything i've ever recorded on vinyl so it was kind of cool and it was cool for me to revisit the songs because i hadn't listened to them in a long time and uh yeah like i didn't even have any right lcds and then the, a few years ago my wife and i were at a bull moose record store it's like a new england kind of chain and i saw a couple of our cds in the used used pile i oh, was nice. like oh my God. but then the seat C- then our car didn't have a cd player <laughs> so <laughs> And I don't have one at home, so like I, I actually didn't really get to listen to him until I got the vinyl from Tino on Pine Hill. So yeah. Just kind of came together. It's a long way of saying, like I asked him and he said,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> no, man. We want the stories in there. We want the tidbits. <laughs> the true stories of, of how it happened. So yeah, let's talk right. about the let's talk about the connection. I think everybody wants to hear about the connection. So tell us how this band ended up forming. It was obviously a little different from the bands you and Jeff had done before, but certainly one of the best bands of the last 10 years. How did that all come about? Well,
1: I appreciate that. And, uh, you know, you calling us the band of the, your band of the decade, right? (laughs) Last decade. Yeah, Um, yeah, the connection. So it's kind of cool to kind of go back to the first question with my little group of like punk rock pals that would go to shows and hang out and stuff. Um, There was a girl I went to high school with, Jackie. And her best friend was Wimpy from The Queer's Daughter. And the two of them were, like, a great homie. But we all went to the same high school here in Rochester, Spaulding High School. And so I knew her. And, like, she, when I first joined the Red Elves, would bum along to shows with me. Like, we just kind of had, like, a crew. And, like, she was part of it. And a bunch of people, like, um, we would just all go to the shows. Or, like, I think people, there was, like, almost, like, at the time like wow brad's in the right l's like let's 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 hop in that uh, you know his dad's van and go with him to you know worcester to play at this knights of columbus and we we just kind of had like this group of friends that were into punk rock and stuff and um so i knew jackie and of course i knew jeff i should say you know jeff and jackie are dating <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know they're partners and um so all those years later so like i you know i started to know jeff more like around 0708 when i was a little older and um then when i would play shows would would shoot the breeze a little bit um but i didn't really know him i wouldn't say that we were like friends back then we were just more like anytime there was like a show it was usually the leftovers the right l's and the guts there was a lot of big three-band bills like that and so i moved to portsmouth new hampshire in 2010 i was 23 and i was walking home i had just moved in like the week before and there was a bar down below me down below my apartment on the corner called the rusty hammer and as I was walking into the apartment, I noticed Jackie was out smoking a butt with a few people. And, uh, you know, I went up and said hello. And, you know, we hadn't seen each other in a while. And she's like, oh, come in and have a beer. So I kind of went into the Rusty Hammer and Jeff was there. And he was like, oh, it's it's Brad from the Rydell's. Cool. And like, you know, we just were like, we just hung out all night that night and had beers at the Rusty Hammer. Um, and that just started like this big time friendship between jeff and i like i really got to know him as a person and he got to know me and um you know it was um jeff and jackie kind of opened up opened my world up to like a whole bunch of different people and experiences and like he had a band at the time that was kind of like country the jeff useless group jeff useless band i think it was and i'd tag along to some of his shows and i really got to know jeff and you know we just bonded over our love of you know uh Beer and um, Brons and Dave Edmonds and, and Nick Lowe records and Beatles, Stones. You know, we would just hang out till the wee hours of the morning listening to records and having a good time. And really, so it was kind of funny that like my high school friend, Jackie, kind of brought me into the circle where like I started hanging out with them a lot more. And um, as for how the band really got started, like about a year after that, I had been working on just a couple songs. I don't know. I just randomly got the itch to try to write. I was never really a songwriter until about 2011 like i wrote a couple songs for the ride but i could never really write like in a specific style like the writers were obviously like a ramones core i hate that word type of (laughs) band it was really hard for me to write in like that specific style and i was younger so now i was a little older and i had more influences and more knowledge about music and um so i had written a couple of tunes um kind of like you know half-joking, really, like, um, you know, kind of trying to be, like, early Beatle, like, so I wrote, like, this song, I Want You, um, All You Gotta Do, a couple of songs, and um, I was hanging out with Jeff one day, and he was actually rehearsing with his buddy Drew from his band, and when Jeff went to go take a piss, I was playing, he handed me his guitar, so I was just kind of playing some of my tune ideas, and when he came back, he was like, what was that? Like, dude, what was that? And I was like, oh, it's just, like, an idea I had. He's like, dude, that's awesome. And, like, pretty much that was the end of the Jeff Useless fan and the start of the connection because, (laughs) like, like, me and Jeff just started finishing my song ideas. And then next thing you know, you know, he had Little Lies and I had, you know, It's All Right. And then we wrote Stop Talking Together. And we just, like, it just took off like a freight train. It was, like, really organic and just kind of, like, just the creativity. Like, I think because, like, Josh, you mentioned, we were – We came you know we loved all kinds of music but we were doing more like punk rock type stuff so like i think we were both super energized by like doing something new for each of us you know trying to write more like hooks and like playing a little more like the chuck berry style and like we were just like really excited so that's how like me and jeff got together and the band started um and i recruited so andy Rydell was the bass player for a couple of years in the Rydells, you know, the last three years or so I was in the band and me and him had always tried to start a band cause he looked like Dee Dee Ramone. <laughs> and like <laughs> everybody thought Dee Dee, you really did. And me and him would jam with different drummers and just try to get a band going, try, try, try. And we never could. So as soon as me and Jeff had something going with these tunes, I recruited Andy Rydell and then the original drummer's name was Chris. And so that original lineup you know, it was a lot of fun because we were really like, just like like-minded people. We went full into it. You know, we wore the skinny ties and the suits and the beetle boots. And like, it was totally like lame, but uh, you know, it was like, to us, it was like exciting. Cause it was like new and just, yeah, like,
0: yeah.
1: Songs were really good. And like, you know, because of Jeff's background, like touring around. And like, even at the time he was also playing with Kurt Baker, who was just getting his solo career post leftovers off the ground And they had done like a European tour that same year in 2011. And I think that that's kind of how word got out about the connection. Because we had released like a couple of the songs like digitally. Then we recorded a few more and made an album. And um, Jeff and I pressed 100 copies on white vinyl and um, total DIY. And it probably back then only cost a couple hundred bucks 10 years ago. And we sold out of the 100 copies within like a couple of days. And we just really Mm. noticed people digging it online and social media and YouTube comments. So... Yeah, it was it was kind of a whirlwind because we went from not being a band, starting a band, being really excited about it, and then realizing that people were excited about the band. And uh, so, yeah, like the first nine months or so of that original lineup was super fun. Um, And then we kind of ran into the typical band type issues where like the drummer was kind of, you know, annoying and he would pick fights with us. And so we had to get rid of him and then Andy Rydell quit. You know, he didn't want to go to Europe the next year. We had a European tour. He kind of flipped out on us. I don't think he could handle it. He just wanted out. So that set us down the path of having many different members <laughs> throughout the years. We kind of had a rotating cast. But you know, I, I look fondly back at those, even though it didn't really like end great with the original lineup. Like it was super fun. You know, that that 2011 year where it was just a lot going on and a lot of excitement
0: cool cool man that's awesome that you and jeff that you found someone like that that's very rare um but but speaking of uh, yeah uh, you
1: know the stars aligning
0: yeah And, and speaking of of jeff uh jeff palmer um your your lp looking for trouble uh came out earlier this year jeff's lp pulling out all the stops came out earlier this year. Did you guys plan that at all? And if so, is there like a little bit of friendly competition going on with those LPs?
1: Yeah. So like, um, well, our first solo LPs, his first LP was pulling out all the stops and I actually played bass on a, on a few tracks on that one. Um, and my first LP extra credit kind of same thing kind of came out within a couple months of each other in 2019. And then, so we didn't plan it. it, you know. I think you know we each wanted to have like a little window to ourselves there to promote. But you know, the reality is most fans of Brad Marino are fans of Jeff Palmer and, and vice versa. You know, um, so it probably really doesn't matter. And if anything, it's probably like cool for people to be able to get both
0: of our albums sort of at once, so to speak.
1: Oh, <laughs> you know, you know it's it's almost
0: like... I, I want to correct that. Yeah, what was it? Yeah, his new album is Charts uh, and Graphs. But... Charts and graphs. yeah. Charts yeah, yeah, yeah. and graphs. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Jeff. Yeah, that's right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. All right. All right. Cut the tape. We'll start. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So his new record, Charts and Graphs, and my new record, Looking for Trouble. I mean, my record was ready to go August 31st. Last year, I got the final Masters. And the thing is, with 2020 being such a year as it was, I didn't want to release it like the way the timing was you figure it probably would have come out maybe in like November December and I just think that's a terrible time to release a record with the holidays and everything it can kind of yeah. get up. so I didn't want to release it in 2020 so you know um, so Trevor from Beluga records he handled the pressing so spaghetti town released it in the US ghost highway and Beluga released it in Europe basically the three of them pool in money and split up the copies to press it So it's kind of convoluted when you're like, yeah, it's out now on Spaghetti Town, Ghost Highway, Beluga CDs, you know, it's kind of a mouthful, but it works. And he coordinated the release over in Sweden is where Beluga is. And he sent it in to the pressing plant in the first week of January. And the vinyl literally just came in on my birthday, the 29th of July. So like two weeks ago. So we waited like almost eight full months for the vinyl to be in, but the digital came out like in June 4th, I think I released it and the CD was out and ready to ship. So it, you know, it's just sort of like a summer release is, you know, it's I, a lot of bands and, and artists ran into that this year with the, the pressing plant delays. So yeah, we didn't really plan it, but it's funny. Cause I was texting Jeff earlier. Cause I got my copies of my new record, like Wednesday and his just came in today. So we were talking about meeting up and swapping copies. Um, but yeah, <laughs> competition i mean it, it's hard to be in like competition with somebody that you're you know you were so close with i mean we're still like close and, and um it's also i think our like it'd be more difficult to swallow if one of us was like selling ten thousand records and the other was selling 500 like we're pretty much you know the same, same like i said if you're gonna buy a brad record you're probably gonna buy a jeff record or vice versa you know he's probably he's he's doing something more it's different than the connection it's back to his punk rock stuff it's much more like pop punky or like punk rock and mine's the same i mean my stuff would have been connection stuff you know if we were still doing stuff and like so it's two different styles i probably have more fans that wear bolo ties and he's got you know more fans that wear chucks and t-shirts you know but in general i think that we you know probably share oh you know 80 percent of our fan base is the same so it's really not a competition thing and you know it's tough to be incompetent you know yeah it's, it's like probably was a little awkward at first when we first started doing solo stuff i think it was probably a little awkward but you know it is what it is you know we're cool we still hang out and stuff and like you know i, I played on his first solo record and you know i'm sure i'm gonna work with him on other stuff in the future so
2: cool so i was such a huge fan of extra credit mm. And then i got excited to hear the new record and i'm like man is, is it going to be as good as extra credit and of course get the record and put it on I'm like this is so awesome it's like great but not just a, a copy of extra credit so it's similar but it's different like what were you going for with, with, with this record
1: yeah i appreciate that um you know it's it's only my second solo record so i wasn't really like going for anything so to speak it just, that's just the songs that I wrote became the songs. So it's almost more like, I guess, like a production thing more than like a songwriting thing, because mm. um, when you're working it, you know, you might write it one way and then record it a slightly different way. So like for Looking For Trouble, there's there's probably like five or six songs that I wrote within like a, a couple of month period. I think I wrote like Looking For Trouble, the, the title track, lights Fade, Something For Nothing, false alarm like those like four songs were all written like like january february 2019 i think it was um so and then you know so it's just like that was kind of the group of songs that i had going plus a couple others and then i have like this vault i call it on my dropbox on my phone of like demos that have not been recorded or released so um like take your time on there that i wrote that in like 2014. But it just never made the cut for any of the connection stuff i don't know it just kind of sailed off or better songs were written so you know it's kind of good to have a little vault to go back into and be like oh that's a good song now the time is right and it's just like ready to go um even the score of the first track on the record was similar to that i started that one i wrote it i think in like 2016 um right after we, the connection did labor love it's kind of got that labor of love kind of stonesy kind of you know raunchy you know um type of style um so and and, you know that's a good example of a tune it's it's, i guess it's more the production making the record than the songs in a way like i think this record i put a lot more effort into not that i didn't at all with extra credit but with extra credit i had chris rogers mixing it and he played on a lot of it and chris kind of added he kind of added the splashes like i added my stuff but then he'd come up with some cool little whatever a fingers part you know some organ or piano thing that um i don't have the ability to do so he kind of shaped maybe that record as much as i did and on looking for trouble i think i kind of took the reins where like besides drums i just didn't feel like playing drums on this record it's a big process to play drums to your own stuff in the studio and i just didn't feel like dealing with it um but i i i you know i had my hands all over it as far as like production and i, and I record most of it here at home so, you know, besides the drums, everything's done in my home studio. So, like, if I lay something down and I'm not feeling it, I can change it. And so, I kind of can shape and mold the songs. Like, even the score, I switched it to, like, the Keith Richards open five-string tuning and added a slide guitar. But the demo wasn't like that. It was a little more straightforward, maybe more like a like a real kid song or something. And um, also using the drummer, Craig Sala, who plays with Kurt, plays with me, plays with Jeff, was in the connection. He's just naturally great at coming up with a killer groove and just gets gets it you know so he gets a song like that you know and so yeah i guess what i was going for is just to make a good record (laughs) and it just happened to turn out like i had a couple of good songs in the vaults and then i had a handful of new songs and um you know false alarm and at night were released on the false alarm i did a seven inch last year on on rumbar but i wasn't like crazy about the mix of the seven inch. So I figured it's, there. you know, especially False Alarm is such a good song. I figured people wouldn't mind if I threw it on the album. I know it's cheating a little bit, but I remixed it myself and kind of changed just the mix and the overall vibe to fit how Looking for Trouble was sounding. Um, So, you know, hopefully people aren't feeling ripped off. (laughs) You know, there's a single version and the, the LP version. So yeah, you know, I feel pretty good about the record. I think it's a really good collection of songs. I think it's pretty solid. I think I kind of also, as far as like um, the order of the tracks, like side A, I just sort of kind of ended up being more of the rockers. And then mm. side B is a little more of the pop, the power pop. You know, it's got like Take Your Time, Fell in Love Again, some more like jangly tunes, where side A is more just like the garage rock or like Stonesy rock and roll, you know, kind of, you know, Teenage Head era, Flaming Groovies, that type of thing
0: yeah uh, well one of the songs um that that stood out to me was uh tripwire um which to me kind of sounded like a like like a link ray dick dale vibe kind of thing w- was were those guys influences on your playing?
1: yeah i mean i like those guys i wouldn't say they're like huge influences on my plane um uh, you know i don't really know where that song came from it's just funny you know I, it started with just like the couple of minor chords that little, like the background music, really. And I thought at first, I thought it kind of sounded like Rubber Soul Beatlesy or something. And I actually reached out to Kurt Baker to see if he wanted to try to collaborate on it because I thought it could sound cool, like kind of a mid tempo, like Michelle type of song, maybe or something. And then I was just like, oh man, when I laid it down, I did the demo a little faster. And I just, instead of like coming up with lyrics, I just played some stuff on the guitar and i was like oh man this has got to be like a dick dale type of tune it's you cool know? man i dug it yeah a lot of people dig that one i i definitely dig it I, it's just i can't really pinpoint like where exactly it came from it was just two chords and then <laughs> you know what this is just going to be a total surf rock instrumental like you know quentin tarantino
2: you know i gotta send totally. it to him maybe for- <laughs> <laughs> so how's it different uh- making music as a solo artist compared to being a member of a band?
1: Yeah, there's definitely some difference. I mean, like, so with the connection, like when we first started, like I said, me and Jeff wrote a lot of songs together, you know, we like face to face, guitar to guitar, you know, um, we wrote a lot of songs together and there would always be a couple that like either one of us wrote on our own. Like I wrote Crawling from the Wreckage or Don't Come Back. And he would write like She's a Keeper or something. And but Besides, like, a couple of tracks like that, a lot of the songs really were, like, a total collaborative effort in the beginning. But as the band went on, it's sort of similar to, like, Lennon and McCartney. They kind of stopped writing. We stopped kind of writing together for whatever reason. It's just, you know, I don't know if I got, like, better as a songwriter, so I would just finish songs more or, like, what, what, I can't pinpoint what it was. But, like, you know, the last album Jeff and I really worked songs together was Labor Love. So, Towards the end of the connection, I was already writing sort of like a solo artist because I was writing a lot on my own. Mm. So I kind of got into that mindset before I ever did a, a Brad Marino solo career career. Um, so uh, in quotes, um, but yeah, you know, it, it's when you're when you're on your own. I mean, you're on your own, so it's like it's up to you to finish that bridge or like come up with that third verse. I mean, I still reach out to um, you know like Mike Cheney who I think we'll get into a little bit later if I'm stuck on a, on a, I need a couple of lines or something or guidance, but um, you know, or like me and Kurt Baker wrote Wake Up Baby from the Extra Credit album. It's, it's fun to collaborate with people, um, but yeah, it's, it's definitely a little different because I, it's probably a little more pressure to it because you don't have, it's, it's your name on the record and it's, it's your songs. So like, if they're not up to snuff, then it's kind of reflects poorly more so on you than like a band. You don't have the band to hide behind, you know? So, um, you know, so far so good, I, I would say on that front. So, <laughs> you know, it's different, but it's again, kind of like, you know, it's 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 more the production aspect, I again, to go back to that. It's just like, it's up to me how I shape it, which I kind of like it, you know, I, I I'm not a control freak or anything, but like when I write a song, if it's a complete song, like I have it in my head, like that's how it's going to go like we can add fingers you can add your organ or piano or like but like i I think i actually work better on my own than being in a in a room with other musicians sometimes if you want something done right you just got to do it yourself (laughs) and like Mm -hmm. sometimes like you know and i'm fortunate that i can play a lot of the instruments and sometimes you just like and maybe it's like a fault of mine maybe it would be better to have somebody else play the bass on a track or something but sometimes i just feel like "Ah, i just want to do it i have a feel for it like it's my baby, I wanna like shape it the exact way that I hear it in my noggin. So, you know, um, but I definitely like On Looking For Trouble did collaborate more with, you know, different musicians. I had like B-Face from The Queers plays bass on a few tracks and, yeah. you know, like recruited Craig to play drums, you know, um, Bobby Davis is on there. He was in The Connection, he plays some acoustic guitar. So, um, you know, it's, it's fun to collaborate with people, but the actual songs, that's the, the main difference. It's, it's all
0: on you. <laughs> cool so yeah uh speaking of of Mike Cheney uh one of the recent projects uh that you guys did uh the new Truckaderos, can you tell me a little bit about that band and like uh like how it came to materialize and are there any plans to record with that uh, group anytime soon
1: yeah so it really wasn't that recent now I think the last thing we did was maybe like 2015 i think something like that um it was cool you know it was um the brainchild of mike cheney he's just so like he is when we met him you know online or whatever he you know he was like in his 60s and he's just like a big rock and roll fan who i guess found our the connections first record new england's newest hit makers he was like one of the first people on the train of like being like these guys rock i like you know, this is great stuff. You know, he, he's a big, big music buff. He's big into the Beatles and Stones and Dylan and all that. So, like, I think he appreciated what we were going for. And then he found Kurt. And then he found out that Kurt and Jeff played together in the Kurt Baker Band. And, you know, we all knew each other and lived within, you know, 45 minutes of each other. And so he messaged, I want to say Jeff, like, in 2013, autumn of 2013, and said, I have these these couple of tracks Do you, Kurt and brad want to record them and so jeff worked out the demos it was a song called money talks
0: great great song by the way
1: yeah that's a great tune that's all mike so he doesn't play any instruments i mean he plays just enough guitar to like you know kind of give you an idea of what he's hearing um Mm -hmm. like he he was very particular like jeff did the solo but i had to do like the chuck lick that repeats in that tune because he's just like it's got to be this exact way (laughs) um (laughs) Uh so we did those the three of us. Uh I played drums and guitar and Jeff did guitar and Kurt did bass and we traded off vocals and did those two songs to start. It was just sort of a one-off fun thing. And uh, you know, the kids was a coolest song in Little Stevens show. And so that was exciting. We were like, cool, you know, it's it was a fun chance for like me, Jeff, and Kurt to be in a band together, um, albeit yeah. briefly. And then uh he wanted to do then we did another EP. And then he had like a whole album that you know jeff kurt and myself each kind of were assigned so to speak three or four songs to do demos for and like help him finish he had like 90 percent of the songs i mean we didn't really help write much of it of that album called thrills and chills it's it's really mostly really mostly mike you know we just we were the musicians we were the hired help we were like you know the wrecking crew you know he had the ideas and we the ability to play them so it was really fun to do that record it was really fun i remember you know just being really impressed with like it was my first time ever recording like with kurt you know i i went way back with him and stuff but seeing him do the bass and then having fingers and him like come up with like vocal harmony ideas it was really like impressive to me the way we made that record just like and it was cool for me like not to have to be the only one singing or whatever like when the connection did a record you know I did the lead and the backup vocals and like, you know, um, it was cool to sit back and like maybe just do like a harmony vocal on a track rather than the lead or whatever. And I don't know, it was just cool. It was like total like rock pile. Like that's kind of what, what it what it was, you know, we were trying to do our take on that. So yeah, it was super fun. But then what sucks is I think we would have done more, but Kurt got signed to wicked cool little Stevens label. And I think he had uh-huh. like some. I don't know if it's just like the producer didn't want him to do anything. I mean, he still had a million other bands. So it was kind of confusing. Cause like when he moved to Spain, he had like bulletproof lovers and the gold, he had all these bands, but I don't think he was like allowed quote unquote, to do the new trucks anymore. Hmm. So like that was sort of the end of that, which sucks, you know, and we've, we've kicked around the idea of doing more stuff, but really um, I don't know if Mike really writes as much anymore. He's got to be, like 70 now maybe. He's probably going to get mad that I said that, but um <laughs> really so like the truck so so for like on extra credit, my first solo record, he wrote two of the songs, um Fit to Be Tied and Don't Do the Crime. So like those might have been truck songs, but like my trocadero songs. So I did those and then on the new record there's one called Fell in Love Again that he wrote and there's like a bonus track called True Love that he wrote. So like the trocadero songs are getting spaced out. Like I know he wrote a couple with Jeff. Um there's one on Jeff's new record that like Jeff showed me way back in like 2011 and we were going to write it, but just never just kept falling to the wayside. And I think Cheney helped Jeff finally finish it. So like he's, he's still like, we're still sort of doing the trucks, but like now instead of the trucks, it's like, okay, a couple songs on Brad's record, a couple songs on Jeff's type of thing. Uh, Maybe someday we'll do something. I don't know.
0: Cool. Yeah. Mike Cheney reached out to us, uh, when we were doing audio ammunition and man, I, I emailed back and forth with that guy a ton, just like you said, oh. talking about music, talking about anything, man. He was like, he's just one of the coolest guys. So it's like, I kind of got to know him kind of well, <laughs> I feel. I think yeah. I remember that.
1: I think I remember him mentioning you and audio ammunition and, you know, both of you is really, you know, he's always like talking about Lord Rutledge too. So um, yeah, he's a cool guy. It's, it's really, it was just, again like kind of weird like twist of fate like he heard our music and we met him so like we, we didn't ever meet him in person until we were in cleveland ohio in 2014 so like we did the the kids money talk single we did another single ep or whatever and then in 2014 his brother works at the rock and roll hall of fame and somehow finagled so we the connection like opened for Hall of Notes when they were inducted to the Hall of Fame, you wow. know, they do the Hall of Fame class. One of the acts does a show, like, the night or week before in the Cleveland Coliseum. So, like, we, The Connection, did it. And that was the first time we met Cheney in person. And it, so it was it was kind of funny, you know. It was kind of like, you know, he was a cool cat. He was dressed all in black, smoking his Marv Reds, and <laughs> uh, he kind of hung out with us. And then he flew out to Portsmouth, new hampshire for us to do the thrills and chills record so he was right there in the studio with us for that one nice but yeah i probably haven't seen him in person since 2015 it's kind of weird but you know we still talk and collaborate so it's cool
2: yeah so cool i i can still remember like where i was when i first got the email about the the new Trocaderos, and (laughs) like all these guys are in this band this is gonna be amazing and of course i hear it and it's amazing and it was just it's just so interesting how like the connection and the new Dracadeero is kind of both like influenced my own direction with with my blog where when I started out i I thought oh I'm just gonna write about power pop and like style punk and I definitely sort of took a, a little bit more of a just a rock and roll direction probably over the last you know f- five or six years let's talk yeah, about the Ramones awesome. um, okay. I, I think it's so cool that you joined the list of artists who have covered entire ramones albums and i think you did one of the best ones what was it about subtrading jungle that appealed to you and what was it like making that record
1: um so yeah so the reason i picked that record i think was because well like i said like the connection was possibly going to do mondo bizarro and it's not that i don't like that record but it doesn't have dd Dee Dee so i didn't really want to do a record without dd mm-hmm. and um i think all the other ones were like done like tino wanted me to do halfway to sanity which i do actually really like that record and would have done it but some band um the cobains i think they're called did it and i don't oh, know if anybody really? i don't nobody really knows that band so it kind of sucks but it was like ah, if i do it that's all you know somebody's gonna say something or whatever so um <laughs> I just figured I'd roll with uh, Subterranean because I also like it's one of my favorite Ramones records from like the 80s or whatever. You know, Um, I've just I've always liked how that record. I mean, people hate on the production, but it's kind of cool to mix it up. You know, like they couldn't win as a band. It's like if you make the same record, if you make Rocket to Russia 20 times, then you're just making the same record. If you mix it up, well, it doesn't sound like them. So I've always kind of liked that record. And even though it has three covers, they're they're pretty cool covers, you know, a really, a really hidden Power Pop gem, you know, I Need Your Love. Um, and then obviously a little bit of Soul, uh, Time Has Come Today. So that's that, that's sort of why I settled on that one, because um, I didn't want to do Brain Drain. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I kind of felt like, uh, and, you know, uh, the new Rochelles had done, or young Rochelles, one of them. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I get
0: it mixed I, up myself. <laughs>
1: yeah, I actually think it was the New Rochelle's, which was the the first band before they became Young Rochelle's. I think they like reunited to do Animal Boy or something. So it was really the only only album left because like Boris had done End of the Century, Beatnik Termites did Pleasant Dreams, and then of course to to just my luck, somebody says that some band in like Sweden or Norway actually did do Subterranean Jungle. So I was like, what the hell. Like I had no idea somebody had actually covered that record. I would have thought that I would have been the only one to ever even consider such a such a task. But oh, I never not heard of that. Yeah, nobody really had. So only like one person like said, "Oh, it's somebody did this." They weren't like complaining. They were just like, "Oh, see so you no. Know. <laughs> so just my luck. But yeah, and so I just thought it would be fun. You know, it, it was fun. I did the whole thing um, right here in my home studio last year. Um, I just finally had the time because of the, the COVID. And you know, I was home. And uh so I just had the time and I figured might as well do it. So I did like the whole thing at home and then yeah, Tino put it out, a hundred copies. They sold out like within a day. And um, Dang,
0: that's awesome.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was super cool. Like, you know, I wish like my new record would sell a hundred copies in a day. <laughs> <laughs> Funny, but you know, it's the Ramones, so obviously it's gonna be, you know, a little more popular. And it's kinda cool. I um there's a cassette label called memorable, but not honorable and they're going to do it on cassette.
0: So oh, cool.
1: I coming back, I guess. So, uh, I, I don't know if I'll get into it or not, but yeah, he's going to do a limited cassette version of it. So there'll be another like analog edition because like Tino's thing with the Pine Hill records thing was, it's a, a hundred copies, like a limited run. I keep telling him we'll have to press more sometime, but you know, we'll see if that ever happens.
0: Well, that's awesome, man. I'm glad to hear it's going to see the light of day again. Um, mm. so, so, Brad, as we wind down here, um, let me just ask you, where are the best places people can can go to follow you, follow your bands, and and buy your, your music?
1: Buy stuff. Well,
0: um, I have a
1: band camp, bradmarino.bandcamp.com. Easy to remember. Um, that's really it for me. I mean... The record labels really i try to encourage people to support them because they're the ones that believed in me and my release and you know invested their money and time into doing it so definitely if you're in the united states spaghetti town records um if you are in europe or beyond beluga records they're out of sweden and then ghost highway recordings in spain um also of course rumbar my shirt (laughs) represent (laughs) blue Uh, his his edition of your podcast was great. <laughs> oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, lose a trip. So, um, Rumbar Records as well. It's got you covered. He put out extra credit, and he's got the CD of my new record. So, I definitely encourage people to check out all those labels, and you know, support support the the labels that really make it happen. Because it's so easy to just pirate music nowadays and we all do it and i you know i'm a spotify fan too i'll admit it you know just being able to go from whatever the ramones to some obscure 60s beat song that nobody knows in a second is kind of cool so but hopefully if people you know listen on spotify and stuff they like it enough to buy it and support the bands artists and the labels
0: for sure man for sure i i concur so (laughs) so hey Brad, thank you again for, for stopping by and hanging out with us. Um, we greatly appreciate it. And we wish you the best of luck with, with with, uh, your new album and, and all your future endeavors.
1: Well, thanks guys. I really appreciate the invite. It was really fun. So I hope people listen and tune in and, um, I like what you guys are doing and I appreciate both your guys support over the years. So it's, it's cool to, uh, finally meet you guys face to face. So, uh, Ligers, likewise, man.
2: Very, very cool.